Hey guys, welcome to the City Baptist Church Sermon Podcast, where it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. Today's message is from our brand new collection of sermons that will go through the book of Revelation. And it's our hope that uh, you will be inspired and encouraged by the truth of God's word today. So here's Pastor Paul, and let's get right into the message. And I'm thankful that you've chosen to join with us today. This morning, we are kicking off a brand new preaching series that we're going to be in for a little bit, definitely. And I'm excited to share that with you today as we as a church family are beginning to go through together, starting today, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation. Now, I know when you uh, mention that or when a Christian hears the word revelation, there's a chill that runs down our spine, you know, and we just sort of get this thought process and we're like, ooh, revelation, and we get excited about it. And things, uh, all sorts of emotions begin to well up inside of us. Maybe an emotion of nervousness for some of you. You hear that word and you think, oh man. Uh, what's going on? Maybe for some of you get concerned. You're like, I don't even know what it's talking about. And you maybe struggle with that and you, you feel like you don't understand it a lot. Now, we, we know that the book of Revelation, of course, contains a lot of prophecy. We know that. has a lot of imagery. There's a lot of maybe strange things to you and I in the book that uh, are hard to understand. But here's the thing. At its very core, at its very core, the book of Revelation is where the Holy Spirit pulls back the curtain And it gives us the privilege of seeing the glorified Christ in heaven and the fulfillment of his sovereign purposes in this world that we live in. At its very core, that's what it is. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate it, and one of the best ways I was thinking about was um, the idea of going to a live play. Maybe some of you have been to a live play before, and uh, it's always an exciting thing to be a part of a production, like a very high quality. I'm not talking about your sixth grade Shakespeare. I'm talking about like a high quality production. And in, in college, my wife and I had the opportunity to go to several of those. Our college had a fantastic, fantastic uh, stage program. And, uh, but later on, I was able to go to a few more, uh, more professional ones, as well as go to some sight and sound, which I know many of you are familiar in that, with that. But there's something about being at a live show that's, that's intriguing. What I love is I love the beginning of it. Because at the very beginning of it, you know, everyone's kind of talking, and there's maybe a little bit of music playing. The curtain is down. And then if you remember what it's like when uh, maybe the orchestra, if it's a live orchestra, starts up again, and the lights do the little flicker, meaning two minutes till, till the start. And then as you find your seat and you sit there and everyone stops talking and it's just sort of the rustling of people finding their seats. And then if you've ever been in a really impressive professional one, the music starts. And then what I love is the the, the curtain goes up. Maybe the stage is 100 feet wide on some of those big productions. And the curtain goes up and you see the set for the very first time. And, you know, actors are running out from the side. And in some cases, maybe some animals even are there. And you see all of that happening. And I, I know for myself when I see it, I'm just like, wow, this is absolutely absolutely incredible. I know the first time I went to one, I was in total awe at the stage and and everything that was hidden behind the curtain. Now, the reason I share that illustration with you is because when it comes to the book of Revelation, it can help us to maybe understand it in a clearer way because the book of Revelation, and I want you to maybe write this down here, the book of Revelation is an open book in which God reveals his plans and God reveals his purposes to his church. Revelation is an open book in which God reveals his plans and his purposes to his church. It is an unveiling. It is the lifting of the curtain. Now, when Daniel was given his prophecy back in Daniel chapter 12, verse 14, he was told to shut the book and to seal up the words. 
But in Revelation chapter 22, verse number 10, the words that were written to the apostle John said this, he said, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. And so as we come to our study, here's what I want us to get at the very beginning of, uh, of the whole thing. We should not approach Revelation out of fear. We should not approach the book uh, out of concern or wondering, am I ever going to understand what this means? Instead, we should come to the book of Revelation with an encouraged heart, excited that we are going to discover the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is the unveiling of the person of Christ, the glorified Christ. It is, and as well, of course, the future events that God has preserved for his church to know and to understand. In fact, the word revelation itself, uh, which is where we get the word apocalypsis. Now, that's something that is changed today, certainly. Apocalypse, you think of some terrible thing, but that word, what it actually means is an uncovering or an unveiling. It is a revealing of what is to come. And that's what Revelation is. We are going to see the book of Revelation unveiled, revealed to us as God intended it to. And so we should not fear it. In fact, we should look with expectation in the truths that God is trying to show to us. And so as we begin the study, of course, today, we're going to lay a bit of groundwork as we begin in Revelation chapter 1. And so if you have your Bible, let's turn to Revelation chapter 1 as we begin the groundwork. Today, we're going to cover the entire first chapter together, and we're actually going to study the book in three different parts, the three different sections that it is naturally and actually clearly divided into. So today, we're going to cover chapter number one, and then over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at chapters two and three, which have a very specific uh, subject matter. And then when we begin in chapter number four, what we're going to do is we're actually going to transition this series to our midweeks, to our Wednesday nights, and we're going to really dig deep from chapters four through 22. It's going to be a great study together. But today I want to get a, a go ahead and work through an overview of chapter one or overview of the book as well. And so point number one, we want to look at the purpose of the book. So the purpose of the book of Revelation. I'll begin reading in Revelation 1 and verse number 1. Are you with me today? If you're with me, go ahead and put in the chat. Say, I'm with you, Pastor. I'm here. Okay. Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 1, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, and here's the key right here, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass, uh, and he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which was given to show unto his servants things which should shortly come to pass. Now, immediately what we see here is that this is a book that is to reveal things to us. It is a book that is not to confuse us, but to reveal to us the things that are going to come to pass. And then he uses a descriptive term here, which is the term shortly, which doesn't mean that it's going to happen immediately after his writing. What it talks about is when these things start, when they begin to come to pass, they are going to happen very, very quickly. If you know anything about the book of Revelation at all, you know that once we get to chapter four and and the tribulation and all of those events, it does. Things happen very, very quickly, the judgment that is to come. But we see here that it's going to happen. It's going to happen quickly once it begins as well. We also see the order in which the revelation was given. First of all, of course, it originated with God. We see that there. And then it went from God and it was given to Jesus. And then from there, Jesus gave it to an angel and then an angel gave it to John and then John gave it to the servants of God. It's like a a heavenly game of telephone, but with accuracy. (laughs) Get that? It's definitely accurate. So it originated in that way and then John wrote it down for the servants. And so to John, the command was very, very clear. He is to write down what God is to give to him. And we come in verse number two, if you'll notice there, it says, who bear record of the word of God. So it says, signified by his angel unto John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ 
and of all things that he saw. So he is to give record, write down what he saw. Now, this is the same Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John and who also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John later on in the Bible. He had a thing about naming them after himself, I guess. Um, but here he's given a responsibility. And I want you to notice the responsibility that John would have taken very, very seriously as, as the Apostle John. He was to accurately record what God was revealing to him. Now, this is common, of course. In, in many of the other books of the Bible, we know all of the authors were to accurately record what God spoke to them and, and the things that they saw. We understand that already, but uniquely in this book right here is the fact that John uh, is given uh, the truth from the word of God exclusively by symbols and by pictures. Uh, I kind of think of it even as video, meaning it's a distinct vision that is given to him so that uh, uh, he is to understand it. And so he was an eyewitness to maybe, I like to consider it the first 4D uh, movie ever, where it's funny, I say 4D because he actually talks about smells and things like that that he receives. And so he receives this, this imagery that's given to him, and he has to accurately record it. It also explains to us why sometimes maybe some of the things that he records or writes down seem a little confusing to us. I believe it's because simply he is seeing a picture of the future and technology that he can't even describe. You got to think a first century man trying to describe technology in the 21st century. Imagine, you know, how would someone who didn't even know what electricity was, how could he ever explain what the internet is <laughs> in, a, uh, in, in, in or, or television or anything like that that we have today? How could he even describe it accurately? And so that's, that brings uh, some interesting uh, uh, things to it. But there are symbols that were to be understood. Now, we know for the early church, many of these symbols were understood by them. Many of them were. But it would have not made any sense at all to the Romans that were persecuting them. And so there was a little bit of covert ops that was happening as well. So the purpose of the book is to understand, of course, but it also comes with a blessing, as we see in verse number three. It says, blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. This is the first of what we would call uh, seven beatitudes within the book of Revelation that are encouraging us to read, to hear, and the blessings that come alongside of us uh, reading and then living out what is taught to us. It is a book, Revelation, get this, the Revelation is a book that should be read. It should be, from a tradition we understand, it should be read aloud. And as well, it is something that when we do read it and when we do hear it, we should keep what we hear. John did not send this uh, book of prophecy to the seven churches so that they could uh, have their curiosity satisfied about the future. Not at all. God's people were going through intense persecution and they needed encouragement. And so as they heard this book, as they heard this message, it would have been a message of strength and a message of hope to them. But even more, this message would help them to examine their own lives. We're going to see that in the next few weeks, how God was specifically writing to churches that we could examine ourselves, examine our church, and hear the word and know where we need to change, whether it's personally or as a local assembly, as a church it's itself. But we are to hear the word. And then he says here that we're to keep it as well. It is a blessing for those that keep the word. That means we are to guard it as a treasure. That means we are to uh, practice what is said. The blessing is going to come, but not just from hearing it, but by keeping and doing the word. To me, this is an echo of James, as he said in James chapter 1, verse 22, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Think about it. James was a martyr already at this point. He had died already for the faith, but yet he had said earlier, and it applies, of course, we've talked about this many times, it applies to all of us, that listen, we need to be a hearer and a doer of the word. And so the purpose of the book is given to John here. The purpose of Revelation 
And it is for our blessing. It is to bring comfort. It is for correction. And it is for hope as Jesus Christ is revealed like never before. And church, I want you to understand this with all of your heart as we are studying this. I want you to understand that it is imperative for the growing Christian. And that's the the key explainer there. It is key for the growing Christian that we remind ourselves of the importance of reading, of studying, and then obeying the scripture. Not only is it a great blessing that can be brought to your life, but it can give you clarity and it can give you direction. Uh, Just this week, I was speaking to a pastor and um, he was talking about some uh, difficult season that they were going through, this pastor friend of mine. And uh, honestly, their name was being slandered a bit and uh, they were being mistreated. And of course, when I spoke to them, I was like ready to just make things right. You know, you know that. And I, I try to be a loyal friend and I was ready to call this person out publicly and and uh, I was going to, you know, call them out and, and all of that. But when I talked again to this person and I kind of explained my plan, <laughs> uh, what they said to me was that, you know what, I'm just going to leave it for now. I'm just going to let it go. And, and here's why. During the week in their Bible reading, in their time with the Lord in prayer, God revealed to them that they should just let it go. God revealed to them through their daily reading that they should forgive that person. And so they decided to forgive and let it go. And guess what? It diffused the situation very, very quickly. And you know what's even better than that? God brought peace to their heart. God brought peace to their heart. I was thinking about it. What if they that day hadn't felt like reading the Bible? What if they just hadn't felt like, you know what, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't really feel like, uh, you know, praying with God and being honest with the Lord through prayer. I think things could have escalated, and I think the testimony of that person might have been hurt, certainly, if they had responded harshly or escalated it. But instead, God brought peace to the person who heard the word and then kept the word. And that's what we are to do here with Revelation. We are, there's a blessing that comes to us who hear it and then keep the word. The purpose of it is very clear. But then we see, secondly, a greeting to the churches. So John, the purpose is given out here at the very beginning. But then secondly, we see a greeting to the churches. We might call it a, uh, a benediction or, a, I guess, uh, very simply, just a greeting to them. Look at verse number four. It says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. Now, just real quickly here, this is the first of 54 mentions of the number seven Number seven is a number of completion, not necessarily perfection, but a number of completion. And we'll see it throughout the book of Revelation. I continue in verse number five. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what we see here is that Revelation is written specifically to the seven churches in what was known as Asia uh, in that day. We're going to cover that in the next few weeks to come. We'll look at those in depth. But the book I want you to notice was written, and it was written with grace and with peace from the Spirit, from God the Father, and also God the Son, Jesus Christ. In the second part of verse 5 and 6 there, what we see is Jesus described in the fullness of who He is. Notice how it said He is our Savior, the one who loved us. He has made us clean from our sin. He is the one who has brought peace to this earth. We also notice the emphasis on Christ there in the verse with the word amen. Do you see that there? 
At the very end, it says, amen. That is a, a throwback or a nod back to Isaiah who described Jesus as the amen, as the completion, as the let it be so, because Jesus is the subject. He is the object of this book. I don't want you to miss it. Sometimes we think that, oh, it's just all about prophecy and it's all about blood and fire and destruction. No, it is about Jesus being revealed for who he is. See, we have a picture of Jesus from the word of God. We have a picture of who he is as he came to this earth and he ministered in person. But now we are seeing the glorified Christ. We are seeing the glorified Jesus and the uniqueness that he is. He is everything about the book and he is the dedication here. I want to continue in verse number seven. He says, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. John here is relating to us the triumphant second coming of Christ to this earth following the tribulation. His return will be a visible return. I want you to see that. It's a visible return. Every eye will see. As well, we notice here that it will be a triumphant return for Christ as he brings judgment. But for those who see him, it says that they will wail. Did you notice that? All mankind will wail as he returns, meaning there will be sorrow because true judgment is finally going to be coming to this earth. Now, later on in Revelation, we are shown and taught uh, what the people are doing on the earth when Jesus returns. And we'll get to all of those in our study, certainly. But when he comes, because of what they are involved in, especially particularly the battle of Armageddon, the rising up against God, they will wail as they see him coming in the clouds. This is dealing, of course, with the second coming. And as well, we see here that he is called the Alpha and the Omega. I love that. That is the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. It's like saying Jesus is the A to Z of everything. He is the beginning and he is the end. He is the first. He is the last. He is, it is emphasized here so clearly as he identifies himself as the one which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. Listen, church, God is always and he is eternal. He is everlasting and he is almighty. There is no escaping his return. Turn. There is nothing that has been overlooked or unexamined. Examined. Nothing was before him and nothing is going to outlast him. That is our God. That is the God that we serve. And this is the greeting that John is giving. And I believe he's giving it to him with passion as he's saying, Jesus is returning and he is in control of all things. Now, remember, he's writing to the persecuted church. They were undergoing great persecution, just like John was in this very moment. But he's encouraging them that God is in control. Jesus is coming back. He is going to make all things right. And to them, I honestly believe, and I think they honestly believe, that Jesus was coming maybe the next week or within a few years, maybe. But yet God had thousands of years of church history still to be fulfilled. And, and sometimes I wonder, why didn't God just man, wrap it all up in the first century there? Well, because God had a purpose. He had a purpose. We see that in 2 Peter 3, 9, where it tells us that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word. Maybe you can put that in the chat or write it down some way. Say, my God is a long-suffering God. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What does that tell us? It tells us that our God is powerful and he is over everything, yet he has given us time to repent and turn to him. He has been a gracious, long-suffering God to this world. That is for certain. And so John here is declaring in this greeting, uh, and what he is saying to them, he's saying, what I'm telling you is inerrant, it is infallible, it's authoritative, it is reliable, it is true, and it is trustworthy. So what does that mean for us, church? 
You say, wow, this is amazing, learning all of this stuff about Jesus and his glorified uh, self. What does this mean? Well, it means that we can trust the book of Revelation. That's what it means. It means that we, as Christians, can trust the Bible. That's why he's emphasizing this so much. He's saying, listen, he is almighty, he's unchanging, he's the everlasting God, and we can trust him. And so that is the greeting to the churches. But lastly, I want you to notice here the vision of our Savior, the vision of our Savior. You say, is there more of, there's more of the vision of our Savior? Yes, definitely there's more uh, vision of our Savior to come. I want you to see in verse number nine, it says, I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here, John reveals to us that he is on the island of Patmos. It is a small island. It's off the coast of Asia Minor. It's in the Aegean Sea. And it says here that he is our companion in tribulation. That is the idea of trouble. He is a companion in troublesome times, in a difficult situation. And he is in trouble for a specific reason here. And I'll tell you, if you're ever going to get in trouble, this is the one you need to get in trouble for, for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so he writes to them and he says, I am your companion in this. This gives us a glimpse again into the state of the early church. It was a persecuted church. It was a church that was uh, struggling, a church that had to look out for themselves and had to watch out for government interference, certainly. Now, John, as we know, is on the island of Patmos and he is there in exile because of the uh, Roman emperor named Domitian. He is a despicable guy. I can't even describe to you Um, in a mixed company (laughs) or with children, how terrible some of the things that this guy would do. But he took John for preaching the gospel and he exiled him. He put him in prison on this island. And to me, it's it's sort of one of those punishments that seems exceptionally uh, cruel in the sense that the island was basically facing Ephesus where his church was. So he's just across a channel of water. He can literally see to where his church and his church family is and the people that he's ministering to, and he can't go over them because he is in prison. And so he's there, and, and he had been active, of course, leading the church in Ephesus. He'd been active uh, in helping all these other churches that are going to be talked about. But he's now in prison. He's in prison for 10 years from 80, 86 to 96. And while he is there, while he is in prison, something amazing happens to him. And we see it in verse number 10. Now think about this for a moment. He's in prison here. John is in prison, and while he's in prison, it says that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and this, uh, this vision comes to him and begins to speak to him. What does that mean for us? Well, it means that your geographical location does not determine your spiritual blessings. It doesn't matter where you are. You can be in prison. You can be at home. Anywhere, God can speak to you, and God can still uh, minister you to you. You can connect with him personally. And so he's in the Lord's day. We understand that to be Sunday. Of course, that's what the early church had adopted. He was in a moment of worship. I'm assuming he was in prayer, uh, a deep sense of meditation with the Lord. And this voice like a trumpet came and said, I am the Alpha and Omega. That means you need to pay attention. It was Jesus speaking to John directly. I mean, think about this. How incredible is it that the God of heaven, the one who had lowered himself, would now come and lower himself again to speak to John and directly in this way. He goes to John, he says, I want you to take this and I want you to take it to seven churches and then he names the seven churches, which we're going to study uh, that in depth here coming up. But verse number 12, John hears this voice. So now he turns and I turned to see the voice that spake with me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. 
And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps as a chest with a golden girdle. Now, John turned. Now think about this for a moment with me, church. Just think for a moment. Put yourself in that position. For the first time in 60 years, John sees Jesus again. Now think about that. The one that he had spent three years with, the one that had taught him everything that he needed to know, the one that he had spent his life living for, had been resurrected. And now it's some 60 years after that, that he sees Jesus again for the first time. And not only is Jesus there and he sees him, he's clothed in a very unique garment. We'll cover that. But he's also standing in the middle of seven golden candlesticks. Now we know from verse number 20 that we'll look at in a few minutes that the candlesticks represent the seven churches of Asia. Remember he said, I want you to take to these seven churches. And now he's standing in the, in the middle of these golden candlesticks. And each of the candlesticks rep- represents one of those churches. And then there is Jesus in the middle of them. Now this is great. Don't miss out on this. Jesus is in the center of it all. Now Jesus, church, is the light of the world, isn't he? He is the light of the world. And it is the task of the church to lift Jesus up and proclaim him to everyone else. And so when we see Jesus standing in the middle of the churches, what it teaches us is that unless Jesus is in the middle of what we do, we don't have any light at all. And Jesus needs to be at the center of what we do as a church so that we, have, so that we can proclaim and lift him up as the light to this world. And then we see Jesus wearing some unique clothing, like I mentioned a second ago. And he's wearing uh, the, the clothing of a prophet. He's wearing also the clothing of a priest. And he's wearing the clothing of a king or with the accessories of a king. Now that again describes who Jesus is to us. Jesus as the prophet, he proclaims the word of God to us. As our priest, he is the one that provides access into the presence of God. He is the one that makes us acceptable to God. And then as the king, Jesus rules and he reigns over all the affairs of the universe and he protects and he provides and he works all things out for good to those that love him and follow him. And so we see all of this symbolism just in the, and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Now there's a great deal of symbolism here in what John is doing to describe Jesus, but the description here paints an incredible picture of God's power. Notice here how he is described as wearing royal clothes. That speaks to us of his position as the priest, the judge, and the king. The gold that is around his chest, this band that is around his chest of gold, uh, tells us about his authority. Uh, The white hair that is mentioned here deals with his purity. It affirms his deity, of course, as holy, eternal, and glorious. Uh, There are the eyes of fire. Those are a reminder uh, of his searching, of his revealing gaze that uh, penetrates to the very depths of the church. Uh, It it is a a clarity that Jesus has to uh, see even to the heart of man to know uh, what what is going on in our hearts. In Matthew, Jesus had said, there's nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid uh, that shall not be known. Listen, the omniscient Lord of the church will not fail to recognize and he will not fail to deal with things that are going on within the body of the church. I don't know if you noticed there, but it talked about his feet. That's kind of an interesting phrase, his feet. It says that his feet were like bronze, uh, that they were made to glow in a furnace. So he had these glowing uh, orange uh, feet there. That is a very clear reference to the fact of judgment. Kings in ancient days, they sat up on elevated thrones, didn't they? And, and uh, they're... Um, Uh, People who were being judged would be beneath their feet. 
The feet of the king came to symbolize his authority. And so this glowing, uh, hot feet of the Lord Jesus Christ pictures him as the one who is bringing corrective authority to the world. It said that his voice was like the sound of many waters. That's the idea of his sovereign power, his supreme authority. There's so many scriptures that deal with the voice of God, but the same voice that can command the dead to come out of the graves is speaking. And and he's talking about the power of God. And so when God, of course, speaks, we need to be listening. And then we see in his hand, there were seven stars in his hand. We're going to see in a moment how they represent messengers or the ministers of those seven churches and how he holds them and he, he controls them and he uh, uh, w- comforts them as well. That's about being in the hand of God. And then out of his mouth, did you see that? Uh, he had a, ra- a sharp two-edged sword that came out of his mouth. Uh, this, of course, symbolizes the word of God and its penetrating power uh, of the spirit of mankind. And finally, we see that he had a countenance. His countenance, that's his appearance or his face was like the sun shining in its full strength. Man, you ever try to stare at the sun? <laughs> Do the sun stare? That's not recommended. And so that's what his face, his countenance was like. And it, it describes and symbolizes the brilliance of his presence and the majesty and the honor and the glory of Jesus as God in the flesh. It is an incredible revelation of the Lord. And to John, it must have been so powerful to experience it in person. I wish that I could experience it that same way. It was so powerful that he had a physical reaction to what he saw. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. (laughs) That was the physical reaction. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not. I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of uh, hell and of death. John was terrified, and he, what did he do? He fell to the feet of Jesus as if he was dead. But I want you to notice here the calm assurance of Jesus Christ. How many times do we see this in Jesus' ministry where he reached out and he touched John? And he touched him and he said, I'm not here to destroy you. <laughs> I am not here to uh, consume uh, you up. He gave four things to him, and I want you to just highlight these real quickly. Notice what he said. He said, first of all, in the passage, he said, fear not, do not be afraid. Maybe you need to underline that there in your, in your Bible. Fear not, do not be afraid. What is he saying? He says, John, I'm not coming to you out of judgment. This is not something to be feared. I'm coming to you in love and in care. He's about to commission John and he's about to use him in a great way. And he says, I don't want you to be afraid. By the way, church, we should never be afraid of God speaking to us, of God reaching out to us. Second, he said, I am the first and the last He's the beginning and the end. We've talked about that already, but that means he's the one who can be with a person forever. He can be with us uh, from the time we're born to the time that we die. And John need not fear the presence of Christ because he is eternal. Thirdly, he said, I am he that lives and was dead and behold, I am alive forevermore. The exalted and glorified Lord need not be feared because he is the same person who came to earth that died and arose again for our salvation. He is exalted And he dwells in the most incredible glory. And he dwells there to save us, not to condemn us. He lives forevermore so that we have that high priest that makes us acceptable to God and the one that will carry us through the evil and the death of this world. And then finally, he said that he had the keys of hell and death. Jesus is the savior of the world and he has conquered death. That's what he mean by the keys. He's like, I own this. I've got the keys here. Uh, He has conquered it and he can deliver us from judgment and from hell. How comforting that would have been to John. Think about it. 
John, uh, being terrified and to turn around quickly and to see Christ and have him speak, he falls as if dead and he comes and he touches him, man, and comforts him and encourages him. How comforting should that be to us today, church family, as we go through difficult seasons of life? And we go through the challenges of today and we recognize that the same Savior who is speaking to John here and says, fear not, I am everlasting, I am all powerful, I am in control. He's the same God that we serve today and he is here for you and he is with us today. Man, that's powerful. What a powerful revelation of Jesus there to John. And then we come to verse number 19 and he says, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. Write the things which you've seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The chapter here closes with John being told to write down three different things. And what we get out of verse number 19 here is the outline for the rest of the book. Chapter of verse 19 is an outline for all of Revelation. I'm going to write them down for you here real quickly or show you. First of all, he talks about the things that he had seen, the things that he had seen. That is the vision of the glorified Christ. Uh, that's chapter one and a little bit of chapter number two, but primarily chapter number one. So he says, you need to write that down. Then he says, you need to write about the things that are, the things that are. That is the state and the condition of the churches at that time. That is in chapters two and chapter three. That's what we're going to be covering over the next seven weeks uh, as we work through all of those different churches there. So that's uh, what, what the state and the conditions, that's the present time. Then the things that would be hereafter. That is dealing with what is to come. That is the, the ending of human history, the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ, and really the end of the world. And so this is the outline for the book. And you can see it here. Those three things, we're going to work our way through it. Today, we're covering chapter one. And then the next few weeks, we'll be talking about this second outline. And then we'll get into the things that are to come. I want to look at verse number 20 as we close this morning. The mystery of the seven stars. He gives a description here. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. He explains, he says, the seven stars, and he calls them here, they're described as the, translated the angels of the churches. That is the word angelos, which means angel, of course, as we think of a, of a heavenly angel, but it also means messenger. And that can be a person. Now, we understand, and we're going to get into this. Um, there are a few different varying ideas of what this means. But really, the, the most practical and most understandable point is that these are talking about the leaders, the pastors of those seven churches. We know that there are no angelic beings that lead the church. We know that Christ is the head of the church, and then there's the, the church as a body. And so we understand this to be the messengers. And so he's holding them there in his hand. Of course, why would God be holding angels in his hand in that way? This is talking about uh, physical people. And he says, these are the ministers, the leaders of the church. We'll dig into that a little bit more. And then the seven candlesticks are representative of those seven churches of Asia. We'll cover that in great detail. So Revelation chapter one, let's all zone in here as we complete this morning. Revelation chapter one is the unveiling of God's plan for mankind. That's what it is. It is the lifting of the curtain. Yet the most significant feature of this passage is the overwhelming glory of Jesus. That is the key subject here. The description that we have here of the Lord, the King, the Messiah, 
It assures John's audience and it assures us today that Jesus should be worshiped, that he should be obeyed because of his surpassing worth, his surpassing power, his overwhelming strength and might that is revealed to us here in this chapter. He is the one who holds the keys of death and of hell. He is who controls the earthly and the eternal destiny of every man, of every woman, and of every child. And our response to Jesus as he is revealed here in this passage determines whether or not we will live with him for eternity, whether we'll live with him for eternity in heaven or live forever in eternity separated from him, how we respond to him and how he is revealed. Listen, church, Jesus is risen. He is risen. He is seated at the right hand of our father. He is indestructible. He is unconquerable because he is Lord. And Revelation chapter one reveals that so powerfully to us. And I believe that he is revealed to us in that way so strongly and so clearly so that we would be compelled to read. We would be compelled to listen. And then we would be compelled to trust in, these, uh, uh, in this letter that is given here to assure us uh, that what he's about to say to the churches is applicable and something that we need today as well. What he says in uh, dealing with the end of history, it is something that we will trust and we will believe and we will follow as well. And so he takes this whole chapter here to reveal and to open the heavens so we can see Jesus for who he truly is. I'm going to close today with Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 7. We'll look at it next week as well. But it says this, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you've got an ear, you need to hear what God is going to say. And so I encourage you as we begin this journey together as a church family, don't be afraid of the book of Revelation. (laughs) Don't be nervous about it. Don't think that it's impossible to understand. It is for you. It is for me. It can be understood and it can bring joy and it can bring purpose to your outlook on life. And I'm very excited about walking on this journey together. We hope that today's message was a help and encouragement to you in your walk with God. To stay connected with us, give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will grow and bless you as you pursue His will for your life.